Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. We're glad to have you today from wherever you're listening. We hope that the Word of God is speaking to you in great strength. We want to welcome those of you from around the United States of America and those of you who are listening to us internationally. Uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you from wherever you are studying along with us, and we welcome your questions. Uh, contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Um, and I will give you, whatever your question is, a thorough response um, that um, will show you what the Word of God says concerning your question. And um, uh, we'll try to be as absolute in-depth about it as I can possibly be. Today we're going to go into session three of the two voices that must be heard and we have looked at the first voice, the blood, and we have begun the second voice, the voice of Jesus Christ, and we're going to enter into the uh, third session, but the second session talking about the voice of Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear. Now, heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. Now, Jesus, we're talking about you speaking. We know what your Word says, and we're going to attempt to bring it forward. We ask that you would speak to the Holy Spirit, and he would show us what we need to know, do understand, and demonstrate. And as he does, we will receive it, and then we will release it to your people. And from there, we will be changed, we'll be lifted, we will be guided into a deeper truth until we can certainly come and grow into more knowledge about Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. So, during this teaching, we have described the gifts of the Spirit in session two, all but the last three, and how they, uh, the, the means whereby Jesus Christ speaks to us through the Spirit. Now we move into the last three, which are tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, that are described by Paul as gifts of the Spirit. Here we will identify how Jesus speaks directly to the church and produces his direction therein. Tongues were and are a part of the means for the completion of dominion. We'll begin today in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning at verse 24, and, Je and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. We've covered that in, in uh, sessions prior. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I 
shake not the earth only, but also heaven. His voice has shaken the earth. How and where? Of course, we look into Mark chapter 16. We know that in Matthew 28, he said, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Then in Mark 16, he repeated the charge to go as he had done in Matthew chapter 28. But now he adds the words that shook the entire world. He that believeth shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. This in itself is a big statement because he has drawn a defining line between what it is to be saved and what it is to be damned. That defining line was the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a line was drawn based on the acts of Jesus Christ. Then he made another statement that shook the earth and shook hell for that matter. Signs are going to follow those who believe. They'll use my name to do five very dynamic operations among all of mankind in the earth. The second of which was tongues. So we cannot fail to identify that tongues are as attached to the lordship and the dominion of Jesus Christ as much as is his relationship to the new covenant. Dominion is found in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does he shake heaven and earth all at once? He speaks out of heaven. And when he speaks, it resonates in the earth. We can see that clearly here. Both places express the same recognition of his authority and his power. The result is dominion. Certainly, both domains are shaken when the one with dominion speaks. Verse 27, And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. When he speaks, the things that he speaks to are shaken. The very first thing he spoke to and told us we would speak to in his name were demons. They are literally lifted by the roots. They are cast down and annihilated. Remember Zechariah 4, 6 and 7. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. See the E-L there that identifies an attachment to God. Saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Who is he talking about when he calls grace, grace? Well, we know he's talking about Jesus Christ. The things he speaks to become a plain. They are the things that can be shaken. They are made to be as they are by their connection to darkness, and they have been made to be shakable.
So as Jesus Christ speaks to the plain, everything that is made under the fall and made in darkness has to be shaken. But then there are the things that are unshakable. They are the things that have come under the dominion and the lordship of Jesus Christ and who are those who are listening to him speak as the man in the Godhead bodily. They remain fixed, firm, full of power, and living as overcomers. Verse 28, Wherefore we received a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably and reverence and godly fear. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom who is over that kingdom, Jesus Christ, and it will not be moved. What's going to be the identity of grace? It's going to be Jesus Christ, according to John 14 and 117, whereby, through that kingdom which is immovable, identified in grace, who is Jesus Christ, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and all godly fear. In this dominion, we receive a kingdom. It is immovable, unshakable, and steadfast. Our king is Lord. Our Lord is God. Our kingdom is present with us now. We live under his rule and reign. We live under the identity of grace, Jesus Christ, who came and was full of grace and truth, and he came and brought it with him. So let us have the favor of God. Would that be what a king in a kingdom would grant his people alone? I doubt that would be all. He would desire his influence to be impactful upon their their life and his people. He would influence how well they lived, how well they thrived, how well they behaved, how well they prospered, and in every corner of the kingdom he would expose his influence for the benefit of his people. What are we describing here? We're describing grace. That is him. He would operate among the people in the way God does things to enhance his ability to provide for the people. He would have an open window of his judgment to exact his goodness and his kindness upon his people. So yes, let's have grace from the kingdom perspective to be applied to our kingdom and to me, Lord, please, in particular, because when grace is applied, Jesus Christ himself is applied. That is the mystery that Paul shares with us in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, that Christ is in you and he is the hope of glory. This grace will cause us to be able to worship. Now I want to say this, this grace will not bring us to a place where all we do is sing a few songs. This grace will bring us to a place of, of, of worship, of absolute adoration, of bowing, because we will see the identity of how grace, when applied to our hearts, brings us into the connection of the kingdom. Grace will allow us, he will allow us to be thankful and desire to give glory to our king. We will serve him because we love him and he expresses his love to us. 
We will be quick to protect our king and produce our love and loyalty to him by living in faithful obedience, being a good steward, according to Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 4. We will live in reverential fear of doing anything to diminish the kingdom. This kingdom is far too prosperous and far too good to ever consider operating under any other kingdom. To ever consider that any evil would be worthwhile. The kingdom of grace that is Jesus Christ is a kingdom of which we live in and he applies himself in our life. He was the legal sacrifice because he bore the only body that had the legal capacity to take upon himself all sin. He bore the only body that had housed the Spirit of God. He bore the only body that had the blood of God flowing through his veins as he had these to offer. Then he could die effectively and God could speak out of him from the blood. What did the blood say? It spoke to the spiritual world first and it said, I've been shed so that the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden that has brought the depravity and the captivity of mankind could be defeated and eradicated from the earth. It spoke to the earth and said, you are no longer under the bondage of the sin of treason. It spoke to the grave and said, you're no longer under the penalty of death. It spoke to the rocks and said, you're no longer to be silent. It spoke to the veil in the temple that kept Israel from God and said, there is no more to be a separation between God and mankind. Blood spoke to the Spirit and said, you're free to be forgiven and healed of all the sin that has come into your life. You are cleansed and free from the bondage of yesterday's sin. It's not covered. It's washed away as white as snow. It spoke to the flesh and said to all who believe, you die as a condition of sin that attaches yourself to the body. It's dead and no longer serves to keep you poor, bruised, broken, blind, and in bondage. It spoke to the region of the damned and said that the old nature is dead. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 21. Wherefore, Henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Ye, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now his forth, from now on, we know him no more. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, that old flesh man is gone. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors of Christ as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he had made him to be sin. Think of that word made as being obedience. He was, he was obedient to be made to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might by our obedience, 
be made the righteousness of God in him. For this scripture we identify what was done as Jesus was made sin, so that when we came from the deliverance of the resurrection, two things were most certain. We had a new creature. We were a new creature. And we were clothed in righteousness. Could this have happened at the cross? No. Why? Because the cross was not the place for righteousness. It was the place for the body to be covered in sin. Could it have happened in the tomb? No. Why? Because the tomb was the place where the flesh would be killed and left. Notice, it is here that the old body of dirt was abandoned. It had been made to fail in its positions of dominion. It could not go any further. It had been so tainted in the actions of Satan that a new body had to be prepared. So our relationship to this is that we following Christ Jesus have to die. We have to lay off the old dirt man with him in the tomb. Now you identify the significance of the death of Jesus with respect to the tomb. The old dirt body had to be abandoned there. It was unusable in the heavenly economy and in the plan of God as he moved forward. Now risen with an acceptable body of righteousness and clothed according to Jesus, accordingly, Jesus is seen and recognized by his voice. Now why is that, I wonder? Because what once was his body from his mother's side was no longer usable after he was delivered from the region of the damned. All of his mother's flaws that were attached to the satanic overthrow had to be destroyed. Mary sees him and identifies him by his voice. The voice is clothed by a new body. It is one absent from any and all sin. This is why he was unrecognizable. The old dirt man was abandoned in the tomb. The new man, clothed in righteousness, that would meet the standard of God was exposed. What does this mean to us? Man can follow Jesus through these actions and the Holy Spirit will replicate those actions in his spirit and the finished work of Jesus Christ on this side of heaven can be accomplished in your life. We can come through the activation of the blood and see grace, Jesus Christ himself applied to our life and we can appropriate the faith of our author and finisher and be saved. We can die to the old dirt man and be delivered from our old sin nature. When we come from that, we have been made the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. What a divine and miraculous process God has unraveled for us. Why did this even happen? Because a man came in a dirt body, but he had divine blood in his veins. This is why and how this happened. The old dirt body allowed God to have access into the earth on a legal foundation that afforded him the divine principles of maintaining his word. What was his word? That man would have dominion. The angels did not understand it. The world could not see it. But the man who came from the dirt wrapped himself around his spirit. He knew his content and the impact that he would have upon the divine process. 
Of course, the tabernacle activities are completed in Jesus Christ. The high priest robed in the garments of the high priest enters into the throne room of God. There they begin to sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. The angels begin to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Heaven rejoices with the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world while he traversed the tabernacle sprinkling blood on the vessels of ministry. He came to the table of showbread, and there was that body, that body that had taken dominion, glory to God, and that blood, that precious blood that is the most powerful single element the world has ever known, that when shed and believed upon could explode and destroy every work of satanic power, could cast down every satanic being, could speak, cause man to speak with a new tongue and hear the voice of Jesus Christ that would make man to be able to stand against every external attack that would cause man to be healed against any physical internal attack and would give them the power to lay hands on those that were under attack physically, mentally, spiritually and cause them to be healed. My God, what a blood, what a body. We now walk in the dominion of his lordship and he speaks to us. Hallelujah. God looks out over the courts of heaven now and declares that Jesus Christ must be given a name. And that name is going to be a name that's going to be above every name that at that name every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is the exalted Lord of glory. His work for the moment is heaven in heaven is complete. But there is now more work to be done in the earth. What is that work? That work is the return of the dominion to be brought back to earth. Oh my God, the body and the blood of which Jesus said we must eat from. Who will it be provided for? Jesus told us he that believeth in me. Hallelujah. How will it be uh, revived in man? Go ye, how will it be activated in man? He said, go ye therefore and teach them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. I'm going to preach a little bit about that Sunday because God gave Jesus Christ a promise that he came to the earth with. And Jesus Christ gave man a a very similar promise. He told Jesus, I'll not leave you. Jesus told us, I'll not leave you comfortless. Then he turned around and said, I know I'm with you always. What was he saying? He's saying all dominion is in me. All power is in me. Everything that you need, all of the grace is in me. Everything you need. If you teach my dominion and they believe in my dominion, then they can have me with them always and everywhere. Hallelujah. Adam experienced me under the same conditions. Adam experienced dominion in Genesis 1. 
Now looking at Matthew 28, this is the return of Jesus as he has been through the actions on the earth side to defeat and destroy Satan. He has been to heaven and been produced his offering and oversaw it as he was the high priest. He's been given his exalted name of Lord. Then of course over in Mark, we've identified those five distinct prongs that were secured for us by his lordship between verses 15 and verses 20. This is not nearly done here, my friend, but I want you to see why he had to have a body, why he had to come to earth, what his body was for, how his body traveled through the journey, what his body accomplished along the way, how his lordship is designed to restore the dominion that was presented to the dirt man who was filled with the spirit. When we see that, when we see what he did next, we will be astounded to find out that many do not desire to have him functioning to them in, in them in such a degree. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 through 20, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. The writer here lays the foundation for the message of the covenant that's available. This is the sequence. Someone must die. Blood must be shed. Now with death and blood, how is the covenant enforced? Through the declaration of agreement through the blood. It is made effective by his position of high priest and by our position as priests. Now here we're going to see a mechanism arise in a new and different way. We're going to see grace arise. Grace has done its work in favor. We see grace expressing itself in influence. The covenant from the stronger and the greater one begins to be distinguished by its ability to influence the ones who have inherited its benefits. For a New Testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ's death by the fourth force of his death caused a testimony of himself through the blood. In his death and from the shedding of blood, a force is applied to the testament concerning him. Verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. We know that the old covenant was also dedicated by blood, but that that blood was inferior. It had no blood that came from God. There was none of the blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins, and any blood covenant that is completed between man and the blood of animals or the exchange of blood between men is an inferior covenant. Why? Because the blood used is inferior to the blood of the new covenant. It was the blood of the Son of God of whom the angel said was Emmanuel, God with us. And any blood other than that, the blood of Emmanuel has absolutely no force within it. The force is this. Man's covenants are as good as the men who make them. They're bound by circumstances and situation that may cause them to deviate from their covenant. So the depth of loyalty to any covenant is only as good as the problems that arise during the covenant. Man can change his feelings or change his mind, so the covenant of his natural blood is changeable. In our day, we use something called a contract. That contract is only as good as long as the members of the contract determine that adhering to that contract is beneficial 
to both parties. But when one member determines that the contract is no longer good for that person, they break the contract. There may be rules and penalties, but that must be addressed. But the contract can be annulled. This is the Western world's vision of, of covenant. It is accessible and unaccessible based on circumstances. Now, in our relationship to these spiritual contracts, we live the same way. Our circumstances dictate our involvement with the contract. If all is calm, we can live in the spiritual contract and do well. If times get difficult, we attempt to live even more closely in the spiritual contract. But if something comes along that looks better to us than the spiritual contract that we have been living in, we desire release from the spiritual contract. Something that serves our senses or lusts or pride. Something comes along that seems to serve us and satisfy us. We annul the contract. We move over into a contract with what gives me what I want. Now we don't see this as a breaking of a contract because we're told about the love of God and the concept of free grace. We don't see a broken contract. We see a contract with loopholes for us to use to be unfaithful to our obligations, to our original contract. We're told that that contract is good regardless of your fidelity to that contract, so we do as we desire, understanding that the other party, the one that makes up the other side of the contract, is the only one who is bound to uphold his position in the contract. There are no penalties to you or me if we decide to be disobedient because they say love and grace covers it all. There are no repercussions or consequences for abandoning the conditions of the contract. As you can see, this legally in the natural world would never be acceptable. Naturally, man knows better than entering a contract that encumbers one party and provides complete autonomy to the other. Why we would consider the one who created the universe and the omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God to be legally incompetent is mind-boggling to me. To think that God so understood the legal requirements necessary to buy back man and then would hold himself completely culpable to the legal agreement is ridiculous. Man is a party to the covenant with responsibility. Well, I see my time is up for today. I wish I could go further, but I'm going to close this right here. We're talking about the voices that must be heard. I want you to stay with me as we study the word of truth. God bless your people. Open your eye, open our eyes that we may see, and our hearts that we may hear, and our, e our, heart, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may understand what the Word of God is trying to tell us about our means to live for you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. May God richly bless you is my prayer until we meet again.